Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. So those Bibles or electronic devices you held up, if you would go to that section of Scripture. As I begin today, I read a story about a young man that grew up uh, in a typical Cuban home. He said that what that meant was that pork is one of four of the four main food groups. Said he was hit many times with a chancleta, and I, I meant to look that up, and I'm not sure what that is. But he said his furniture was always covered in plastic. <laughs> How many of you grew up with a, in a house where the plastic was all over the furniture? Anybody? Awesome. Well, then this story's not going to be fun for you at all. He said even the lamp had plastic on the lampshades. His mom and stepdad were very particular about the furniture. You could sit on it, but if you moved it around too much, then you had to get off of it. They lived in Boston, and they didn't have AC, and in the summertime, you could sit on the couch in your shorts and you'd try to get up and feel like a fruit roll-up, you know. But he said he remembered one day that he was 11, and his mom let him stay at home alone. She was going to the grocery store to buy some things. So she left, and the first thing that he did, it was really his first shot at responsibility. So she left, and the first thing he did was he ran to his room, he grabbed his Van Halen 1980, 1984 album. How many of you know what an album is? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> he puts it on the turntable. How many of you know what a turntable is? <laughs> okay. I have to qualify that because we do have some young people that go, huh? What? What? Yeah, the, those discs, they turn, right? <laughs> the CDs. So, jumps on the couch, he starts playing his air guitar to Van Halen's song Panama and He's, he's got the speakers going loud, and then all of a sudden he hears the door slam. Mom forgot something, and she came back, and it got real ugly. He says, Mom also experienced the Van Halen song and helped me understand the song entitled House of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> so what was this guy's problem? Well, the problem is he didn't know that she was coming back so soon. Had he known that, that she was returning, he never would have been messing around. But you see, that's the way it happened. He didn't know that her return was near or he wouldn't have been goofing off. And the same is true about us. Those of us that have faith in Christian life and in Christ, it's a foundational truth. Jesus is coming back. How many of you believe that? Amen? Jesus is coming back. And over and over, He let us know that. In John 14, great passage, He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. There is more than enough room in My Father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will, be, you will always be with Me where I am. The reality of Jesus' second coming was so real to the early disciples after his resurrection that when Jesus ascended to heaven, they waited. In Acts 1 it says, After saying this, he was taken up into the cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. See, they were just sitting there staring up in heaven going, uh, uh, uh. They were, they were straining to see where he was. He began to disappear, and he disappeared above the clouds. But they still stood there. They still stared. They were gawking with their mouths open. How does a person just lift up and go? No wings. No Southwest Airlines. 
Nothing to take them. No jet propulsion. God's vacuum cleaner just sucked him right up. And these angels, they go, why are you doing this? They said, we're waiting for Jesus. He said, he'd be right back. <laughs> he is coming back. But not right now. And it may be right now. But he said, go. Go for now. That's what they told these guys. And that moment marked the lives of the disciples from then on. That moment. And I believe... One of the healthiest ideas to live with in your mind as a Christian is that one day Jesus is going to come back. And that He could come back today. So again, are you ready? Are you ready? Now on Monday night we're saying, are you ready for some football? But are you ready for Jesus to come back? <laughs> they need to write a song about that. And our study today is going to talk about that very thing. And I want to give you some facts that I think you can hang on to. If you're here and you're discouraged, you pick the perfect day to be here. If you're here and you're going through a tough time, you're in the right place. If you're here and you're confused about the future of our country, of the United States, <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. If you're here and you're wondering if these things could possibly get any worse, what does this mean for my family? Trust me, you're in the right place. Because these were the very same things the believers in Thessalonica were struggling with when Paul wrote these words to them. Let's start chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in Him, in, in the same way God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, through Jesus. Number one on your fill-ins. Jesus' return should inform how I live. There's some things that I would prefer to be ignorant about. Ran across an article that talked about the conditions in factories who manufacture hot dogs. In the article... There was, a, there was a wife reading the article to a husband, and, and, and in, the, in the article it talked about how many bugs, hairs, and bacteria were allowed per 100 hot dogs. The husband says to the wife, why would you tell me that? She said, because you like hot dogs. He said, yes, and I want to keep liking them. Don't tell me anymore. <laughs> There's some things we want to stay ignorant about. In some cases, it's better to be ignorant, but not when it comes to the prophecy of, Bible, of the Bible. And what we're talking about today. Because there's a lot of confusion today about Bible prophecy in the second coming. In fact, there's four areas where Paul says we shouldn't be ignorant. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians 2, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the devil's schemes. In Revelation, excuse me, in Romans 9, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the rapture of the church. Here's what I find interesting. Do you know that what the four topics that Christians are most confused about? Do you know what they are? Let me give them to you. Spiritual gifts. Write this down somewhere on your outline. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual warfare. Israel. And the rapture of the church. Those are the four most confusing things to Christians. Now when it comes to the rapture... 
The coming of the Lord, why is it important for us to not be ignorant and instead be informed? It's really important. It's really important. Because if we aren't aware of God's plan, we'll sorrow like those who have no hope. And the believers in Thessalonica were worried about those they knew and had loved who had died. That's why Paul uses the phrase, fallen asleep. You see, if you're a believer and you die, you simply fall asleep. And you wake up. Your last breath becomes your first breath in heaven. Uh huh. They weren't afraid and they weren't aware of the hope of heaven and the glory that awaits every believer beyond this life. So when a, when a person takes their last breath, they do what? Take their first breath in heaven, right? Sure, I want you to hear that. There's more to you than your body. Aren't you glad? When I was younger, I thought, man, look at this young, virile, strong, athletic boy. <laughs> now that I've grown a while, I say, hmm, where'd that guy go? <laughs> There's more to this body. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that on the other side, I get a brand new one. Knee won't hurt anymore. Ankles and feet won't swell anymore. I'll have a full head of hair again. Looking forward to it. I got more hair than I did a week ago. Can you see it? <laughs> I know it's hard. You got to get close. Cindy said, it looks like it's going to be silver. I said, yep. They'll call me the silver fox, baby. <laughs> yeah. She had to run to the bathroom to throw up at that point. So it, it got pretty ugly. But there's more dust in our body. Our spirits are critically important. In fact, Jesus, or Paul, I mean, talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I can't wait. Can't wait to be with the Lord. Don't have to worry about taking diabetic pills and shots. To, uh, I can eat whatever I want to, especially butter, brick, or ice cream. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it will be in heaven. God and I have already had a conversation. And maybe that peach cobbler we had last night with some of that butter brickle on top. Anyway, never mind. So, so many new Christians, they don't realize the importance of the second coming. They can't imagine. And then when they really start to understand that Jesus is coming back and the second coming will happen and there's something greater for us on the other side, it kind of blows their mind. And they go, whoa, man, that's going to be awesome, won't it? Yes, it's going to be awesome. That's why we don't have to sorrow like others do. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be tearful and fearful. We don't have to cry. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to express emotion when somebody dies. It is because we're losing them. They're not here. That They're not here for us to be, to be with, to hug and to hang on to. But you know what's best is when they're in Christ, they go and we get to see them again. There's the blessing, amen? I cannot wait to see Ken Rhodes. Henri, I, I, I know why Kay hadn't gone yet, because Jesus is still working on Ken. I, mean, he just, I, I, know he I never will forget the day that I went up to the hospital, cancer, brain, brain cancer. <clears throat> went to the hospital trying to think, okay, I got, uh, what scriptures can I bring to Brother Ken? And here we go. And I get to the door and he goes, man, you're finally here. He said, the devil's in the phone booth and he's calling 911. <laughs> That's the way I want to go. 
That's the faith I want to have. Amen. But we have hope. If a person is a believer in Christ and they're with the Lord right now, they're in perfect health. They aren't experiencing pain anymore. That we're going to see them again when we get to the kingdom is so important. I can't wait to see my brother. My brother John, who's a preacher in Brownsville, Texas, I didn't know this story until the funeral. He said that he was talking to my mom before she passed and asked her how she was doing. She said, well, I'm troubled. And he said, what are you troubled about? He said, are you, are you worried that you're not going to go to heaven? She said, no, not, not me, but I'm worried about all my family. And he said, Tommy? And she said, yes. So my brother left my mother's room and bedside and went to call my brother. Told him that story. He said, we really need to talk about this. He said, I've been thinking about it. He said, uh, I, need, I need to let the Lord be in my life. So my brother led him into prayer and received the Lord. He said, now we need to baptize you because I know, but I'm going to let Harold do that because he's been trying to get me in the water for a long time. <laughs> and my brother said, that'd be fine. You see, it's always a team effort. It's always a team effort. But my mother could die knowing that all of her children knew the Lord. It makes a big difference. Huge difference. So we don't have to sorrow. We have hope. That's why Jesus' return informs how I live because I don't have to have sorrow like a person who doesn't have hope because we do have hope in the Lord. So number one, Jesus' Jesus's return should inform how I live Let's go back to Thessalonians 4 and 15 through 18. For we, shall, we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, do what? Encourage each other with these words. Oh my goodness. Number two, Jesus' return should comfort my heart. Jesus' return should comfort my heart. Reminds me of a guy named Harold Camping. Any of you know that name? He was the guy that predicted the rapture and destruction of the planet back in, uh, I think it was 20, 2012. Was it 2012? It was May 21st, 2012, I believe. And uh, of course it didn't happen. What is it? That was his second attempt. Well, either way. But you're going to love this because here's what happened. Somebody saw him recently and he looked really, really sad. <laughs> and they go up to him and say, hey, cheer up, man. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer guy if you ask me. <laughs> because the rapture of the church should comfort us, should encourage us. We get to get out of here. I don't know if God's going to let Aaron wear that Kansas City Chief jersey. I bet he'd trade it in for a white robe. Amen. I'll bet he would. As long as it has KC on the back. No, I'm just <laughs> But the rapture ought to excite us. So it's one of the reasons I love keeping up with current events because I see signs that, are, that the coming of the Lord is near. But how does it work? 
How will the rapture happen? To understand the rapture of how Jesus will return for the church, we need to understand the drama involved in the Jewish ancient weddings. Three parts consisted within the Jewish wedding. Number one was the engagement. This was an arranged marriage by the parents of both the bride and the groom. Second part was the betrothal. Here, this was the ceremony. They, it would take place and the couple would be considered married even though they didn't live together or consummate the marriage yet. This period lasted usually up to one year. This is where the groom would pay the price for the bride. And it was a high price because her dad wanted to make sure that he was serious. And, he was, and that would prove his love for her. And at that time, the groom would go and he would begin to build a house for his bride-to-be. The father of the groom would set a time for the son to get the bride. Usually in the middle of the night when he had been working tirelessly to finish the house, the groom would travel to the bride's home, blow a trumpet to announce his return, and he would take the bride back to their new home for a seven-day honeymoon. Seven days? A whole week? Wow. We're lucky if we get three days, huh? After the honeymoon, the couple would emerge from their home, invite the town to a wedding feast, which was the third part of the Jewish wedding. And it's exactly what we see played out between Jesus and the church. Jesus, on the cross, paid the price for us to be his bride. I had never seen this before. And when, in my study and preparation, when I saw this, it just, my whole life lit up. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. The first part, Jesus on the paid the price for us to be his bride. In Luke 22, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. See, he gave the highest price for us to prove, to prove that he loved us. Then Jesus left to prepare a house for us. Again, the passage we read earlier, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. This is how you remember it. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Amen. So he's building the house. Then when the Father decides the moment, Jesus will return for his bride. And if somebody comes to you and says they know when Jesus is going to return, run from that person. Because they're telling you that they know more than Jesus himself. Run from that person. If you want to beat them as you run by them, it's okay. Because I'm telling you, they're wrong. They're wrong. But when the Father decides the moment, Jesus will return for his bride in the church with the shout of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet. <laughs> He's going to come to take us home. That's what we just got through reading. Isn't that awesome? He's going to come get us. I can't wait for him to come. Can you? Huh. The rapture is Jesus returning for the church, taking us to his house, except instead of it being a seven-day honeymoon, it's a seven-year honeymoon, because during those seven years... While we're in heaven, God is going to deal with Israel directly. 
And these seven years are called the Great Tribulation where God is dealing with Israel specifically and pouring out His wrath, His wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Now I'm saying a whole lot. We could go a whole lot more in depth, but I'm just giving you kind of a parenthetical approach here. Because after the Tribulation, Jesus comes back with us. According to Revelation 19, it says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except him, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. So we're coming back to, to we're conquerors now. Ha <laughs> ha! Can't wait. Can't wait. There are certain people that I believe will still be alive and wish they weren't. Then we enjoy the wedding, marriage feast of the Lamb, and also in Revelation 19, and I heard, it started verse 6, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. When I see young women getting married... Oh, they spend all day long getting married, ready to get married, don't they? Hair gets done, nails get done, baths get taken, more baths get taken. It's, a, it's amazing what goes on. All their friends show up and they've been in baths all day. And it's just, oh, it's amazing what goes on. Even the men show up and they get all dressed up because, whoo! And I love the look on that groom's face when she opens that door. And steps out to walk down the aisle. The eyes get big. They start tearing up. My strapping boys, they every one of them, I've been privileged to be a part of their weddings. I got lost at Jeff and Misty's. I said, let's bow for prayer. I started crying. He kept saying, damn, damn. So I kept saying, speak among yourselves. Speak among yourselves. <laughs> and at Corey's wedding, I was doing great until Megan came around the corner and I looked and he's crying. I go, what are you doing? And then Jeff is crying and Mark is crying. And everybody's crying. <laughs> so I started, I had to cry. So here we go. And then at Mark's wedding, we were supposed to say something about each of our kids. I was going to say something. Her dad was going to say something. So I'd look at the floor. I said, I can't look at you because I'll start crying. And Jeff and Misty pulled me aside and said, don't, don't say what you said at our wedding. <laughs> Took everything away from me. I had nothing to say. I cannot wait for the bride to come get us because we need to be ready. Are you ready to go? You need to be ready. You need to be ready to leave. Live as though you're leaving here today. You've got to be ready to go. There's no reason to hang around. There's no reason to wait. Get it ready. Get ready. Get ready. It means that everything happening in the world is going according to schedule and before the horrors of the tribulation occur, we're out of here. 
Oh, I'm out of here. Can't wait. Let's go. That's why Paul says comfort each other with these words. Because we know that before it gets really bad on earth, we get to get out of here. Jesus' return should comfort my heart. Jesus' return should, should inform how I live. Now let's pick up our text in chapter 5. About the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. <laughs> Number three, Jesus' return should alert my senses. We live in the part of the world where there are these things called seasons. I love getting up this morning and it's crisp and I love the fall seasons and sometimes the trees around here turn pretty colors and all of that. It's, boy, it's just great. But then there's summer that always hits here, right? In summer, we've got hot, we've got hotter, and then we have glimpses of hell around here. And we're grateful for the fall when those kind of summers happen. read a story about a guy who had an innate sense about seasons and the weather. He told his wife, I can tell it's raining before anybody else does. And she said, well, how do you know that? He said, because I'm bald and I don't have any hair. And I can tell you when it's raining before anybody else will. So they're walking along one day and he says, it's going to rain. Let's go. She says, how do you know that? He said, trust me, the bald man knows when it's raining. <laughs> his wife can't tell. She's got enough hair for five, a family of five bald people. But Paul says, I don't need to write you about times and seasons. Matthew 16, look what he says. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked if he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening. You're hypocrites. You know how to dis discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Signs are important, aren't they? I read a story about a family that lived in Florida and they were about a three hour drive to Disney World. And so they decided to, to go to Disney World one time. And as they were driving, there weren't many signs in the county where they lived. But the closer to Orlando they got, actually it was in the first hour, they didn't see any, any, any signs about Disney, uh, Disney World. But as they got closer to uh, Orlando, they saw a sign that said Yeehaw Junction. They don't even know what that is. But they kept going, and, and, and when they got into Orlando, I mean, there was, the signs were increasing. They were uh, more frequent, and they were bigger, and they, were more, uh, uh, in, they had a more intensity to them. And the same is true about the return of Christ. The closer we get, the more signs of His coming increase in frequency and, in, and, and intensity. That's why it's important for us to watch the times and seasons because we do, not, we do not know when He's actually coming, but we do know that His coming is at hand. That's why Paul says that the end times will come like labor pains. We've had three kids, and well, I say we, but Cindy's, Cindy's mainly done most of the work. But when, when it was time for birth, she had contractions. And a smart being a smart man that I am, I'm moving her to the hospital at that point. Because if I don't, we're going to have a mess on our hands. <laughs> so we started moving. Because those birth pains were telling us something's about to happen. And at first, 
those pains were far apart, then they got more frequent, and they got closer, and Paul is saying all the signs will increase as the time gets closer. We have a front row seat to this unfolding before our very eyes. One of the things that the Bible talks about is this group of nations led by Russia who will invade Israel and, uh, against impossible odds. God will give Israel victory. Years ago, people thought it was impossible because the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 hated each other. But here's what we're seeing now. Alliances. Militarily, financially, scientifically, all those countries in, in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are starting to work together. Libya, Russia, Iran. The signs are there. We just need to be watchful. Oh, it's not scary. It's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. And you will not be able to negotiate your way out of this one. The only way you can find it is at the cross of Christ. That's how you get out. So Jesus' return should inform how I live. His return should comfort my heart. His return should alert my senses. And then let's finish our text in 6 through 11. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk get, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put the armor of faith and love on our chests and put a helmet of, of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Twice in our text, He says, encourage one another and build each other up. So number four, Jesus' return should assure my salvation. A preacher friend of mine was teaching at a conference in California, and he had a friend there that invited him for dinner to one of the most exclusive restaurants really in the whole world. It's called Club 33. <clears throat> it's hidden inside Disneyland above Liberty Square. It's where Walt Disney had private dinners. He had a private dining room there. There's only 487 members in the world. And this guy's friend, this preacher friend, had a friend who was a member there. Topher Grace, of the star of the 70s show, was at the table next to them. But he said, here's what's amazing about this night. He was telling this story. Because they had this reservation, they were appointed to free valet parking, exclusive entrance to places inside Disneyland no one else was able to go. They got fast passes to rides uh, while everyone else had to wait two hours. When you're a, th a Club 33 member, you're not appointed to wait in line like the mere mortals are. You bypass all that because you're a Club 33 member. It's not because he, you know, it's not because this guy was, uh, my, my friend was awesome. It's because he knew somebody. He knew somebody. So the essence is when you go to heaven, do you know somebody? Do you know somebody? And if you don't know Him, Jesus, then you need to get to know Him. In the Bible, there's a pattern that's important for us to know. God always removes the godly before He pours out His wrath. Before the horrors of tribulation are unleashed, God is going to rapture His people out of here. And then He's going to deal with Christ-rejecting sinful world. But when God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, He removed a guy named Lot and his family before judgment came on that day. 
In the same way, God will remove his people before the judgment begins. And 2 Peter 2 says, So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. When you hear that Jesus is coming back, what happens in your heart? If you're excited and you say, Yes, Lord, I hope it's today, then that says something about the condition of your heart related to Christ. If you hear the, hear the phrase, Jesus is coming back, and you feel with fear and anxiety, what does that say about your condition? It means, number one, that you're not right with God. You've got something that you need to unload and take care of and get rid of. And if that's the case today, and if that's you, I want you to know that Jesus died for you. And you get to bypass tribulation, if you will, but accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And you can do it. It's a real simple process. But are you serious? There's the tail of the tape. Are you serious about it? And the way you do that is you pray and you invite Him into your life. And by asking Him to forgive you, you make a decision to walk with Him every day the rest of your life. I made that decision years ago back in 1970. Years ago. But it was the most important decision I ever made. The second most important decision I ever made was marrying my wife Cindy. I can tell you that she has helped me more in my walk with God than anybody could ever ever know. But if I didn't have Jesus and I had that fabulous wife, what a loser I would be. And so this morning, we want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and if God is ready. If you're ready for God to change your heart, if you're ready to surrender to God in a way that you've never done before, I want to encourage you to do it today. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Every time we come to church, there's an opportunity. Every time we hear the message of Christ, there's an opportunity. And so God, I'm praying today that there will be those here who will seize the opportunity. That there are those here who will understand the importance of this moment. And God, that you, through your spirit, will wrestle, will prick, will prod, so that they will respond today in some way. Because the decision will make be made one way or the other. Either they're all so, so good with you at this point, they don't need to make any new decision, but they're just wanting to deepen that walk. There's, there's going to be a, a number of those. There's going to be some who at one time named you as their Savior, but decided to let the world be more important. They need to come back to you. And they're just a prayer away. And then there's perhaps a smaller number who've never claimed you as their Savior. We'd love the opportunity to sit down and to teach them from your word what that decision means. It's more than just making a decision. It's more than just saying a prayer. There needs to be a life-heart change within that person. Conviction of sin and repentance and turning from that sin to become what you've called them to be. Burying that in the waters of baptism and rising to walk in a new life. We'd love to teach what that means. But God, whatever is decided today, will they never ever forget that because you're coming soon, we can comfort one another with those words. In Jesus' name, amen.
you have a decision to make, would you, as we stand and sing our